Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. A number of years ago, there was a question that went around. It centered around four initials or four letters, WWJD. People wore bracelets. It said WWJD. Does anybody remember the question? What would Jesus do? It's a good question, and, and po- most people didn't know at the time that that question had been brought up about 100 years before in a book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps. It's a fictional book about a church, and a, a, something happened in that church that so moved the pastor that he called a, a, a meeting of all the people who were willing to come after service one Sunday, and he asked them to make a commitment that for the following month they would not make a single decision or take any action in their lives without first asking this question, what would Jesus do? And then acting according to what they discerned. Now, I, I like that question, but I think for those of us who want to live like Jesus, there are two better questions than that question. The first one is this, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? And then what, would Je- what did Jesus tell us to do? What did Jesus tell us to do? Those two questions, I think, are better questions because when we don't know what Jesus would have done in a situation, or we think we don't, we ask the question, what would Jesus do? And that calls for speculation. And then I put myself higher than Jesus because I ask, what would Jesus do? And I say, well, I think he would have done this, and then that's what I do. And it may or may not be what Jesus did or would have done. But when something happens in our lives, most of the time, Jesus already told us what to do. Most of the time, there's something in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that we can turn to and say, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus told us to do. For example, what about this modern discussion we have about homosexual practice and marriage? What did Jesus say about that? What would Jesus do about that? Well, we don't know for sure because Jesus never mentioned homosexual practice or marriage during his ministry. At least it's not recorded in the four Gospels. So we say, oh, well, what would Jesus do? We don't have to do that. Because what Jesus did is he reaffirmed what God established in Genesis chapter 2. When he was asked about marriage, not homosexual marriage, but marriage in general, actually he was asked about divorce, he said, here's what God said from the beginning. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then Jesus added something additional. He said, For this reason, what God has joined together, the man and the woman, let no one put asunder. So we don't have to say, what would Jesus do? We know what Jesus did, what he affirmed. So what do we do? What would we do? We don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to speculate because we know that Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. And in the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, homosexual practice is condemned. And as I already said, more importantly, God established marriage between a man and woman in the order of creation. So we know what to do, but we also know that Jesus told us not to judge other people. We also know that Jesus told us that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and our neighbor, all of our neighbors, as ourselves. So in the midst of correcting people, we need to make sure that we understand everybody's our neighbor. Everybody deserves the love of Jesus. And actually, the Apostle Paul gave us something that sort of ties this all together in Ephesians 4. He said, whatever we do, we have to speak the truth In love, I always like to use my hands, you know, and we speak the truth in love. When we put those two together, we get Jesus. When we speak the truth in love, that's Jesus. He always did that. 
And so we are called to speak the truth in love all the time. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to move on from what Jesus' followers are. Pastor Brad talked about that last week, did an amazing job telling us about the the Beatitudes, what we're supposed to be as Jesus' followers. We're going to talk more about now, today, what Jesus' followers do. There are dozens and dozens of commands in the Gospels Jesus told us to do. But what we're going to do this morning, and we're going to look at the passage right after Matthew 5, 1 to 12, where the Beatitudes are, we're going to look at Matthew 5, 13 to 16. And in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, Jesus tells us what to do as his followers. Now, here's what the take-home point is for today. It's based on Matthew 5, 13 to 16. It says this, Jesus calls us to live as salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. And as we do that, as we read the scripture in just a moment from Matthew 5, 13 to 16, some of you are going to say, wait a minute, Chris, it says we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Isn't that what we are, not what we do? Well, actually, it's more than a state of being. Jesus isn't just calling us to be salt and light, but sort of do what salt does and to do what light does. So what Jesus' followers do is we live as salt and light in a dark and tasteless world, which is very different from what people do out there in the world, both in Jesus' day and in ours. So what we're going to do right now is we're gonna turn to Matthew chapter five, verses 13 to 16. We're gonna read God's word, actually Jesus' word, together. So if you're able, would you please stand? And we're gonna look at the screen and see Matthew 5, 13 and 14, 15 and 16 will come after that. Jesus said, read it with me, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of action, calling us to to be and to live as salt and light. In the world we find ourselves in every day, a world where people don't know your word or aren't living by it, And, and we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be and do salt and light in your world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is it is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Salt's been given a pretty bad rap in our day. Salt gives you high blood pressure. It does all kinds of bad things to our health, but not so in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, salt was a preservative. It preserved goodness in food. Salt also was a healing agent. It was actually put in wounds. We talk about putting salt in wounds to hurt, but they put salt in wounds to heal. And also salt was used as what we use it for to add zest and flavor to food. Salt was even used as money in Jesus' day in some places. That's why somebody says, well, that guy isn't worth his salt. Or he is worth his salt. That's where it comes from, that saying. So salt was very important in Jesus' day. And he said we are supposed to be that kind of a preserving of goodness and truth kind of a person. We're supposed to add healing to people's lives. We're supposed to add zest and flavor to people's lives. And some of our unchurched friends would hear that last statement and go, are you kidding me? Christians adding salt? They're adding zest and flavor to life? 
Christians are, are mean. Christians, they're against everything. That's what some people think about Christians, right? And Christians, I mean, non-Christians or people outside the church often use the H word to talk about us. They call us hypocrites. They say we don't do what we say we believe. And that's true sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we are hypocrites. We don't always do what we say. And when our words and our actions don't line up, this is a hypocrite. When they do, this is Jesus. And so we're called to be this. We're called to be salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. But Jesus reminds us that salt can lose its taste. It can lose its flavor. And when it does, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that it's not easy to live as a follower of Jesus. Not in any era of history, but I think particularly in this era in history. Not easy to be salt in that tasteless world in which we live. And sometimes in, amidst the pressures of life and the tests of life and the trials of life and the temptations of life, we fail. And if we fail completely and utterly, then we would be salt that lost its flavor. So what do we have to do? Well, first, before we can do anything, we have to admit something. We have to admit that we're sinners. We have to admit that we're helpless and actually hopeless without Jesus. It's what Pastor Brad talked about last week. The very first beatitude was, blessed are those who are poor, right, or poor in spirit. And he said, what do we have to be? We have to be broken. We are broken. We just have to admit that. And a few weeks back when I talked about temptation, remember I had everybody raise your hand. I said, if you've ever been tempted, raise your hand. And everybody raise your hand. And I said, if you've never... If you've never succumbed to temptation, in other words, if you're sinless, keep your hand up. And every hand went down because we all admitted that we're all sinners. We know that. And that's where we start out. And once we know that, then what we can do is humble ourselves and call on the Holy Spirit to fill us up. And then we can start to be salt. We can start to be healing agents for not only others, but for ourselves. We can start to add zest and flavor to life. But it starts with recognizing where we are. We are Helpless sinners, lost in a world that's lost. And then Jesus comes along and he gives us what he called a new birth. He says we can be born again and we, we're filled up with the Holy Spirit and we can live a new life. And in that condition, we are called to be salt and light, but we're talking about salt right now. We're supposed to add taste and zest. We're supposed to preserve the truth and we're supposed to bring some zing to life. And some hear that and go, wait a minute. You can either preserve the truth or you can bring zing to life, but you can't do both. I mean, think about it. If you go to a party, what are we supposed to do when we go to a party as Christians? Are we supposed to be walking around going, hey, everybody, you can't smoke, drink, or chew, or go out with the girls that do, right? Be a Debbie Downer, a Donnie Downer. That's what we're supposed to do, because we're preserving the truth here. Let's get with the program. And we do have to admit, there's a lot in our culture that's celebrated that's really wrong. It's just flat out wrong. I don't think anybody has any idea how much destruction has been done in this culture by the abuse of alcohol and other drugs, both in individuals' lives and in, and, and in families' lives and in, in culture. And the casual way we approach sex these days in this culture, it's very destructive. And we have to admit that. We have to start there and say, we are not going to be like the culture. The way we be salt, the way we live as salt, the way we do salt is not to look at the culture and say, well, the culture's going this way, so let's just go that way. I've heard pastors say, well, you can't, you know, social drinking's okay, and you can't legislate morality, and those are half-truths. Social drinking is okay if you can keep it at social drinking, but that's a big if. 
And you can't legislate morality. We can't pass laws that's gonna, that will make people moral. But here's what we can do. As followers of Jesus, we can be moral people. We can live as moral people. And when we do that, we're salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. You know, I know that nobody starts out to, they, that nobody starts out in life and says, I, I think when I grow up, I want to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. Nobody does that. And yet I've known hundreds, I do know hundreds of alcoholics and drug addicts. And, and it started with a casual drink or, or, or drag or hit. And, and here's what I, I've, I've told you this many times. There's nothing in the Bible that says that it's wrong to drink alcohol. And yet drinking alcohol in moderation, it doesn't happen in this culture. I mean, maybe in a handful of places, but that's why I don't drink alcohol, period, ever. The only time I ever drink alcohol is in Cuba. Now, listen carefully, because you might think, what does your pastor do when he goes to Cuba? <laughs> when we take the Lord's Supper in Cuba, the only option is to take the, the wine, a little glass like this that has alcohol in it, and I asked the pastor about it. I, I asked the superintendent of the, of the Central Western District of the Assembly of God Church in all of Cuba, why? Why do you have alcohol in your Lord's Supper juice? I mean, there are people who are alcoholics, and if they drink that, it could be very bad for them. And his answer was simple, we can't buy grape juice. I mean, they can't, I mean, I know that sounds weird, but they can't buy grape juice. They can only buy that. So that little, once a year, I have this much alcohol. Other than that, I never drink alcohol. And it's because I have never seen anybody become addicted to a substance that they don't ingest into their system. So that's one way that we can be salt in a dark and tasteless world. We can, when we go out with friends. Now here, I want you to hear something else. I'm not a prude. In fact, when I go to parties, even in non-Christian settings, nobody looks at me and says, oh wow, you're judgmental. Oh wow, you're, why don't you go home? Nobody ever does that, you know why? Because I don't judge people who aren't Christians. If you're not a Christian, if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, I'm not judging you for not following Jesus. But what I don't do when I'm with a bunch of people who aren't following Jesus is do what they do. You see, we don't help people become followers of Jesus by doing what they're doing. We be help people become followers of Jesus by following Jesus. So when I'm in a situation where nobody's following Jesus, what I do is simple. I act like Jesus. That's how you be salt. That's how you do salt in a tasteless world. Now, I know some people say this. Wait a minute, Pastor Chris. I don't hang around with any of those people. I don't hang around with those people that are doing those bad things. And I have to admit, there's a scripture that you could quote, and you should quote, that will, will validate that point of not hanging out with people who are doing the wrong things. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's why there was one kid in town in Gypsy when I was growing up. My mom wouldn't let me play with him. Because he was always doing bad stuff. He was always getting into trouble. And so my mother just said, you can't play with him. Now, as I have gotten older and more mature as a follower of Jesus, I've learned something. Somebody got to play with him. Somebody has to go who's mature in the faith. Not somebody who's weak. That's why the 12-step programs, AANA, what do they say? They say this. When you're first trying to come out of addiction, what do you do? You avoid the people, places, and things that got you into addiction. That makes sense. But as you grow and mature, the thing that we need to do is we need to help people in every condition to see the salt that Jesus calls us to be. And we can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by humbling ourselves and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we don't do what they do. 
but we don't separate ourselves because what happens when we separate ourselves from others is we start this we, they thing. We're the good people, they're the bad people. We're the, we're the Christians, they're the sinners. The last time I checked, I'm a sinner. I'm a forgiven sinner, but I'm a sinner. You know, we're all sinners. We can't ever come to the point of saying, I'm not a sinner anymore. Because even after the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we still have this battle going on and we fall sometimes. So hypocrites say, I'm perfect and they aren't. Hypocrites say, I'm not gonna hang out with any of those people anymore because we are those people. There is no they. There's only we at the end of the day. So that's what salt does. Salt injects every situation with healing, with goodness, with truth, with flavor, with zest. And we can't say that's optional if we're followers of Jesus because he didn't say you will someday possibly become salt. He said you are. By virtue of being a follower of Jesus, we are salt. And so, you know, the thing is, if we go into the world as salt, it's going to cause some waves. And some of us don't want to make waves, but... We will, just by virtue of living as a follower of Jesus. Now, the interesting thing, I'm gonna share an illustration that some of you will get, some of you maybe won't, but um, if you've ever been in a third world country, or if you've ever been in a really dirty house right here in the United States of America, you know that in the dark, there are some creatures that, that come out. And then when the lights turn on, boom, they scatter, you know? They're called cockroaches. Cockroaches don't like the light. They scatter like crazy. And sometimes people don't like Christians because we're like a light bulb going off in a cockroach-infested room. I know that's a very negative illustration, but I got it right from the Bible. Listen to this. First off, let's read what we already read. You are the light of the world, Jesus said, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see, we're supposed to let our light shine and what happens when the light shines if people are doing evil deeds is they run for the corners and it says it right here in John 3, 19 to 21. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. So let me quickly emphasize two points about light. The first one is light illumines. It makes darkness go away. Wherever light is, there's no darkness. And the, the thing that we need to understand is our light is the same light as the light of the moon in relationship to the sun. The, the moon has no light of its own. It reflects the light of the sun. We have no light of our own. How do we start out? We start out as sinners. We start out as broken people, just like everybody else. We're all the same. And then Jesus comes into our lives, and his light shines out. And what happens when we shine the light? It illumines the room. People can see. People who are in darkness, if they're doing evil stuff and they want to keep doing evil stuff, they stay in the dark. But if they want to change... They come out into the light. And they say, whoa, how, how did you do that? How, how did you get that light in your life? And we say, Jesus. 
It's very simple. So light illumines, and people who want to change can come out of the darkness into the light. And the second thing light does, it gives direction. Think of a lighthouse along a coastline. What is the lighthouse there for? It's there so that when a ship comes along, it sees the, the light of the lighthouse. It gets its bearing so it doesn't crash along the, the, the coastline or get lost at sea. And, and there are people out there in the world, they're lost, they're, they, they don't have any light. They don't have any, uh, they don't have any direction. And, and I've talked to many of them over the years, and sometimes you know what people in that condition have said to me, go away, I don't want to hear about Jesus. Just leave me alone. And you know what I do? I say, okay, fine. And then my phone rings one day, and it's one of them. And they say, I lost my job. I have cancer. My, my mother's sick. Could you help me? Yes, yes, we can help you, that's what we do. You see, light gives direction and meaning and purpose and significance when there doesn't seem to be any, especially when people are hurting. So what we do is what Jesus did. We are the light of the world, reflecting Jesus' love and life and truth and goodness and healing to everyone who wants to receive it. It's not something we can force on people. And people have said to me over many times over the years, I have a cousin, I have an uncle, I have a son, I have a whatever, and they just won't accept Jesus. What can I do? Be light. Pray. What you can do is you can continue to live reflecting Jesus to that person because over time there's gonna come a need. There's gonna come something in almost everybody's life. Not everybody because some people just like the darkness. But in most people's lives, eventually, the best testimony that can be offered is a transformed life. Especially if we lived in darkness for a long time, when we come into the light, people see there's a difference. And that difference is what brings the people to Jesus. Because the best testimony is a transformed life. Now, for those of you who maybe today you came in here and Jesus was not in charge of your life, maybe you've been living in darkness and you know it. Today's a good day to change, but I want to tell you something. If you do, if you simply say, Jesus, come in and take over my life. I recognize I'm a sinner. I've been living in darkness. I want your light. Come in. I give my life to you. Or maybe you've just done that in the last few weeks. I want you to know something. When you make that change, not everybody's going to be excited and not everybody's going to believe it. Especially if you've lived a really dark life, people aren't going to believe it. They're not going to believe it for weeks or months or years Maybe ever. I don't have a lot of regrets in my life, but one of the biggest regrets I have in my life is that not too long ago, anger was a very big part of my life. And people who knew me then, people who were walking in darkness would see those outbursts of anger, and I was a pastor. And they would think that I was a hypocrite, and I was in that instant. And, and the thing that they would do is they took a picture of me in that moment, a snapshot, you know what I mean? And, and they took that snapshot and they put it on their refrigerator. And they said, that's Chris Marshall. And, and that was six years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And that's how I was. It was how I was in that instant. But that's not how I am. Because life is not a snapshot. Life is a video. Never forget this illustration. Life is not a snapshot that you take and put on the refrigerator. Life is a video. It keeps changing and moving forward. And if you knew me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I apologize. Forgive me for not being 
who Jesus wanted me to be. And if you know me right now, I apologize too. Because I'm still not perfect. I'm still not reflecting Jesus 100%. But don't take the picture and throw me away. Know this. The love of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ is stronger in my life right now than it's ever been. But it isn't as strong as it's going to get. Tomorrow it will be stronger, and the next day it will be stronger, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. But friends, if you're starting out right now, and you're coming from darkness, and you say to your family, look at me, I'm light, they're not going to believe it, because they already have the snapshot, and they know what it looks like. And it might even be a video for years, and they might say, look at this video. I knew a guy named Ivan. I met him only for one week of my life in Kentucky. I was on a mission trip, and one morning, Ivan came over to me and said, Pastor Chris, I want to tell you my testimony. I said, all right, I won't, I won't tell you the whole thing, but it's simple and short. It's this. Ivan was an alcoholic. He was a drunk. And every day, he would go down to the bar after work, and he would take out his harmonica, and he would play songs, and people would give money in this little, this little tin cup, and he would take the money, he would buy drinks until he got drunk, and then he would go home. And one day he went to a revival. And at the revival he went forward and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. And this doesn't happen very often. But in Ivan's case, his, his need for alcohol was gone in that instant. And so the next day Ivan went to work. And then he went down to the bar after work, which I don't recommend. But he did. And he pulled out his harmonica and he said, Boys, I trusted Jesus yesterday. I'm saved. And I'm going to play songs for Jesus from now on. If you want to give some money, I'm going to give it to the church. And so he played his harmonic and he didn't drink any drinks. And he said, after six months, my friends believed that I had become a Christian. And after two years, my wife did. You see, if we've lived in darkness for so long, it's hard for people to believe that we've come into the light. If we've lived a certain pattern of life for so long, it's hard for people to believe. And what happens over time, though, is this. They see that their snapshot was wrong. That's who I was, not who I am. That's who you were, not who you are. And people who knew me 20 years ago, if they haven't seen me for 20 years and they, they would come and see me now, guess what they would believe in? Jesus. It says it right there. Let your light so shine before others. What? So that they can see your good deeds. Let them shine out so that they will give glory to who? Your heavenly father. Because you know what? When people see me living the way I live now, they know that's not Chris Marshall. Because they know Chris Marshall. They have a picture of me on their refrigerator. The angry guy who got angry at the littlest, slightest thing. You see, that was Chris Marshall. This is Chris Marshall now with Jesus in charge. And, and what's your story? What's your testimony? Ivan has a pretty amazing testimony. My testimony isn't quite as amazing as... Ivan's, because I accepted Jesus when I was 12, I never had any addiction except for anger. But there are people who see a difference. And the one regret I have is that they, some people saw that 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and they gave up on Jesus because of me. It wasn't Jesus' fault, it was mine. So, we can be light and salt we can live as light and salt by reflecting Jesus Christ in our lives, by having the Holy Spirit in our lives, by humbling ourselves and admitting that we're not perfect and trusting him.
What would Jesus do? Well, we don't always know what would Jesus do, but we know what he did. He came to change this world forever. He came into a world filled with darkness and he filled it up with his amazing, incredible light. And he left a bunch of little lights all over the world, billions of them now. We're part of that light brigade. And we're called to go out and live as salt and light wherever we are. So here's today's commitment. I left the salt part out. I just left the light in. And the, the commitment is this. I will be like Jesus by letting my light shine before others this week. It's an amazing opportunity. It really is. Because there are an incredible number of people in the dark out there. Some are in my family. Some are my neighbors. Some are in this community. And they're everywhere. Everywhere I've been, there have been people living in the dark. And we have the opportunity to go out and shine, let our light shine before others so they will see our good deeds, our good works, and they will say, wow, there must be a God. Because I know that is not Jamie. I know that is not Nicole. I know that is not Brent. That's gotta be God. You see, put your name in there. I know that's not Chuck, I know that's not, I could go through every name in the room, that isn't us, if it's good and bright and life transforming. But when we humble ourselves and fill up with the Holy Spirit, I found out how to say, fill me in Spanish, llename, llena nos, that means fill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Fill us, fill us with your Holy Spirit right now that we might be more light than we've ever been. Not because we have any light, but because your light will reflect through us more fully and more powerfully. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be salt, so we can bring healing and transformation and, and zest and flavor to life. God, let us illumine the darkness. Let us give direction to lost people. God, use us. Keep changing us so we can become change agents for others in the power of your Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.